if I take a step forward, if I grow, it doesn't have to be beautiful. It doesn't have to be sophisticated. It doesn't have to be an amazing, holy, pure, high-level sound. It's got to be just any sound. It's got to be a yearning. It's got to be a step forward. You are listening to The JP Show, where we discuss the issues you care about from a Jewish perspective. I am Rabbi G. I am Rabbi Levy. And we hope you enjoy this episode. This is Rabbi G, and today we are doing a special episode just before Rosh Hashanah. This coming Shabbat is the first of Tishrei, the new year, the Jewish new year, a time of great blessing, a time of great growth, a time of tremendous closeness between us and Hashem. Now we know, of course, that one of the themes, many themes, one of the themes of this month of Elul and Rosh Hashanah, as we spoke about the last couple of weeks, is the idea of tshuva, returning to God, reconnecting, and that comes with growth. It comes with renewing our connection, returning to our connection, and expressing it in a tangible way by taking the next step towards greater growth, towards greater improvement, towards going beyond our comfort zone. And we know that the, one of the highlights of Rosh Hashanah, although this year it's only one day because Rosh Hashanah begins on Shabbat, is the blowing of the shofar. And I wanted to share with you an insight and then we can discuss it and take it apart. I want to share with you an idea that we can learn from two laws that have to do with the, with the blowing of the shofar. Because the blowing of the shofar really is that cry, as we know, that cry that comes from within ourselves, the, the yearning, the yearning to return home, the yearning to reconnect. So, in order to fulfill the mitzvah of shofar, you need to hear the sounds, and the sounds have to be produced by someone blowing the shofar and producing those sounds. How beautiful do the sounds have to be? Do they have to sound musical? Do they have to sound melodious? No. The Mishnah, the passage of Halachic law, tells us very clearly, Kol hakorlot k'sherin litkiyat shofar. All, whatever sound you're able to produce, as long as you follow the halachot, the laws of how, you know, how many sounds and how long and so on, but the quality of the sound, whatever you produce, is fine. It could be very low, it could be very, sound very scratchy, it's not really like you're a real amateur and not, don't even know exactly how to blow the shofar. But if you're producing the tkiyah, you're producing the sound, the shvarim, the chua, you have a full the mitzvah. That's one law. Another law is, um, which is a little bit more difficult to understand because today maybe it's not that relevant, but the, in the Mishnah, um, it talks about blowing a shofar in a pit or blowing a shofar in a, like a huge cistern, like a big, big vat, like a big sort of container. And over there it says that if you blow shofar there, it's a problem because you might not be actually hearing the, the sounds of the shofar for the people listening. You might actually be hearing an echo. An echo of the shofar. Not the shofar itself, but an echo. And therefore, if you blow in a, like a closed pit or in a big cistern, you have not fulfilled the mitzvah because it's possibly an echo. It's not the sounds of the shofar. By the way, that includes, even if the sounds were beautiful sounds, amazing sounds, but if you heard it as an echo, you haven't fulfilled the mitzvah. Now, let's put these two ideas together. Shofar is about taking a step. It's about reconnecting. It's about taking one step forward, closer to God than we have been till now. So here we have a beautiful thing. Why is an echo not kosher? And the reason, of course, for that is because it bounces off. It wasn't, an echo means, by definition, an echo is something that is not absorbed by the by you know the sound waves hit the surface and it's not absorbed by the sound 
by the by the actual wall, it bounces back. In other words, it's not absorbed. That's what an, that's what an echo is. That's the definition of an echo. So here we learn from these two laws an amazing formula. If I take a step forward, if I grow, it doesn't have to be beautiful. It doesn't have to be sophisticated. It doesn't have to be an amazing, holy, pure, high-level sound. It's got to be just any sound. It's got to be a yearning. It's got to be a step forward. I might take a step forward that for someone more righteous than me, it could be just considered something very inferior quality in a way. But it's my growth. It's my sound. I'm blowing the shofar. And therefore the Mishnah says, All voices are kosher. However, as long as it's not an echo. It doesn't have to be a beautiful sound, but it's got, it can't be an echo. It means it can't be something that's just external and superficial, that I haven't internalized, that I haven't made a part of me. That it's not, I'm not owning that growth, I'm not really pushing myself. So yes, any, any bit of growth, any bit of yearning, any bit of reconnection is fantastic, it's the mitzvah, but it can't be an echo, it can't, it's, got, it's got to be absorbed, it's got to be internalized within who I am. And that's how these special days, starting from Rosh Hashanah all the way to Yom Kippur, begin with that message. Yearn, connect, it doesn't matter what the quality of the sound is, but just take one step forward. It could be something very not so, not, not so sophisticated, but it's from you and it's being absorbed. That's the mitzvah of Shofar. And then we, that's, the, that's the foundation and that's the message of Rosh Hashanah to tell us what the foundation of growth is and how it has to happen and to teach us to believe that it's possible. And then God gives us what we call the Aserity Mei Shavah, the 10 days of Shavah, to work on a plan, to actually work it out in a practical, tangible way, how we're actually going to grow in the coming year. Because the theory is very beautiful and the inspiration of this idea is tremendous, but also has to be put into practice. And that's why we work on specifics when it comes to Yom Kippur and we work out a plan on how to actually grow in the coming year and become a little bit more connected, a little bit more improved and a little bit more engaged. That's my opening message. Okay, Rabbi Levi, special days. Yeah, leading up to Rosh Hashanah, a few, few days left. Um, and this is the time of growth. This is the time of change. This is the time of, uh, to really work on ourselves. This is what we're talking about today, working on ourselves. So let's start with this question. So you spoke about sort of a general attitude and then sort of getting into specifics. When you, when you start getting into specifics and actually making a concrete plan of, of what to change, how does one know which part of their life they should start changing because you know we start thinking about all of your sort of uh, all, all of our defects or all of our uh, parts failings. of our character all our failings at least for people like me it can get very overwhelming you know there's quite a long list so uh, where, where, where on the list should we start like sometimes there's like this feeling of like if I can't change fully then forget it like you know it has to be a place where I can begin somewhere that's a great question I think I think there's, uh, and this is this is an important idea because I think we have to break it into two. Meaning, when we have the month of Elul, which is the month of reflection, we need to be totally honest with ourselves and not become overwhelmed. In other words, like this. When we, when we confront ourselves, we have to be completely honest. We can highlight all of our strengths, all of our weaknesses. Now, it includes highlighting our strengths. That's true, right? To, to know what we are doing. Okay, you know, we're doing well at or reasonably doing well at least. So, but we shouldn't hide from hide from being completely and brutally honest with ourselves about all the areas of weakness and areas where we need to potentially grow or repair or reconnect and, and so on because a person cannot really grow on any level unless they have a pretty, pretty honest view of what they are, right? Yeah. However, that honest, brutally honest 
reflection should not lead to being overwhelmed and should not lead to despair. And partly because of what we just said, because you need to be honest with yourself because that's what growth is all about. But then you don't have to fix everything. That's the point. You need to take one step forward. And that one step has to be, I always say, like fitness. It's got to be, you know, when you, when you train and you want to become fitter, something that me and you... Uh, we'll maybe, have to work on. Maybe it should maybe, be on a list of this. Maybe year. it should be on a list of working on, yeah. Right. Um, but but when, you, when you work on your fitness, we all know that everyone has a fitness level. And the way you train or the way you do exercise is you've got to push that fitness level a little bit. Now, if you do too much, you'll have a heart attack, God forbid. Right? Because it's just way, way above your, your fitness level. It's going to challenge you physically in a way that is unhealthy. But if you just stay the same, you know, you say, you know, I'm walking on a flat surface. Instead of walking for 10 minutes, I'm going to walk for 12 minutes. But really, it's not much exertion there. It's not really going to accomplish much, right? So fitness is you go a little bit above your fitness level, but you push yourself. So it's finding an area or areas where it might be a little uncomfortable, but it's reasonable and it's realistic, but it's still a push. Mm. One of, I think, the uh, sort of the buzzwords of today, which probably has some good to it as well, maybe even a lot of good, is the concept of being authentic, being authentic to yourself, right? Um, what happens, let me sort of split this into two. What happens if somebody wants to take on a New Year resolution, which is a good time to do it around Rosh Hashanah time, the Jewish New Year, and they feel like the resolution they're taking on it themselves is either hypocritical to other behaviors, so that's, that's one side of the question, or is hypocritical to what they feel. So let me give you an example. So let's say someone decides they want, to, um, they want to upgrade in their level of, let's take an example of a, of a, of, of a mitzvah between man and God, for example. Uh, they want to upgrade in their observance of Shabbat, so they'll um, light Shabbos candles now. But they're still not keeping the whole Shabbat. They're still use, doing things that perhaps are not in line with Jewish law. Or someone says, I'm only going to have kosher meat, but they're not going to keep everything in kosher, right? Is that considered hypocritical, number one? And then another example, it's not necessarily a contradiction to any of my actions, but I'm, my, 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 my heart's not into it. Let's say someone's on the side, I'm, I'm, I'm going to start praying once a day. But I don't really feel like it, it doesn't really mean anything to me. I'm saying a bunch of words that I probably hardly understand. Is, is that hypocritical? Short answer, no, of course not. Why? <laughs> I knew you would say that, obviously. <laughs> question is why. Okay, so this is a very fundamental aspect. You, you're asking very, very important, uh, you're highlighting very important ideas here. So let's talk about a general principle first and then break it into those two scenarios, right? So it goes back to, you know, you said everyone talks about it being authentic to yourself. So the way it's used in society, sorry to be controversial maybe, but it's a lot of nonsense. Mm. Because, because, actually, it's not a lot of nonsense. I think the, 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 I think the phrase is fantastic. But what does that mean, authentic to yourself? What self are we talking about? So we've talked about this before, right? We have the conscious self and, your, and the real self. We all really deep down in our soul, we have a pure soul, a pure spark, and we really want to do the right thing between man and man, between mind and God. We have faith deep down. We all have this purity, right? The real self. The real self, that's who we really are. We are defined by our, from a Jewish context, from our fundamental connection to Hashem, our, our, our godly spark, our godly infusion. That's who we really are. We need to express that on our more conscious self, which is thought, speech, and action. And there it's all complicated. And our, our conscious self, there are ups, there are downs, there's, there's, there's personality issues, there's different temptations, there's the ego mixing in, there's lots of things that happen. Yes, of course, it's our responsibility to choose right from wrong, true, but you know, we're all on a different journey, and that's, and that's the way it is. So we're all growing at different rates, can't do everything, but we all believe essentially in the same idea. We believe in that one 
one overreaching overall concept, right? So therefore, we have a concept in, in, in Judaism like this. That when you do something that is in line with your real self, even if you're doing lots of things that aren't in line with your real self, the real you is, what you, is the mitzvah you're doing. The real you is the kind deed that you're doing. Mm. That's, that's the real you. That's who you really are. It's not hypocritical at all. In fact, that is that one thing, if you decide not to eat uh, non-kosher meat, or you, or you decided to you know, be, be nice to someone who you really can't stand, and you still can't stand them, but you just want to do the right thing, that is the real, that's being authentic to your real self. It's not hypocritical itself. That is authenticity. It's, it's, it's authenticity in line with the real you. Ah, so you can ask yourself the question, well, why, why aren't I authentic in everything that I do? Because we're human beings, and we all, we, we're all lacking. We all do things that are actually hypocritical. We all do the wrong things that are mm. hypocritical. But it's okay. God accepts that. You know, he knows we're hypocritical. Our whole, uh, our whole existence has, he has a hypocrisy attached to it because we have a lot of different temptations, a lot of different struggles and challenges and so on and so forth. But whenever we do one mitzvah, whenever we do one good deed, whether it's kindness to someone else, whether it's a mitzvah between man and God, we know that good deed is eternal and never degraded or undermined by anything else wrong we're doing, right? Even like, I mean, you know, you talk about kashrut, someone has once said to me, well, I don't think it's make words worth anything keeping kashrut at home, I'm going to eat out non-kosher anyway. So I'm not one to recommend eating non-kosher anywhere, but if someone only eats kosher at home, that, that's a mitzvah, that's an amazing mitzvah, and it's a mitzvah that God cherishes, and God loves, and God welcomes, right? And especially if you did it as a push to grow, it's amazing, that's in line with your true self, that's a step towards your true connection, that's incredible. You can't do everything at once, okay? So then there's, there's still room to grow. So if you, if you engage with Shabbat by lighting Shabbat candles, on time, by the way, Shabbat candles must be lit on time, of course, right? Um, but you've engaged Shabbat, and that's your engagement for now, amazing. Now, you also mentioned an interesting thing there about doing something that your heart's not, not, into not in it. So, again, it's a sort of the same answer. There's, there's two answers to that. First of all, the, in Judaism, the power of action can never be undermined. Yeah. Your heart becomes in it if you keep doing it. Right? And even if you didn't, even if your heart doesn't come along, let's say prayer. I mean, prayer is a struggle. The Zohar says prayer is a time of war, yeah. time of inner struggle, right? Even if, you, even if you don't get your heart in it, but your inner heart is it. In other words, your real soul wants to do it. Okay, so you bypass your heart. Your heart didn't get there yet, but your action is in line with your real self. And that's, that's still amazing. Yeah. Obviously, God wants us to serve Him with, his, with our whole self. So we've got to work on getting our heart and our feelings and our passion and our excitement to be part of the process, but it doesn't matter if in the meantime it's not. Yeah, I think that's a very important point. I think in, in, in general in life, we can't always just follow what our heart wants. Like, you know, if, if, if I would speak to my kids the way my heart wants me to on a daily basis, that probably wouldn't end up being very good, very good parenting. Right? And once I saw someone give a very good analogy, you know, people say it has to be authentic, you know, how, how, how can I be nice to this person if I, if I don't like them? Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not being authentic. This person said, well, bad breath is very authentic. Right. It's very authentic. That's, you, 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 you wake up in the morning with bad breath, and yet we brush our teeth. We're inauthentic. Right? Sometimes we need, we, we, we need to be inauthentic, because that's what the truth demands us to be. Love it. Yeah. Um, which is very good. For, so, and I think that, that also explains, um, within our resolutions itself, I can't remember what the, what, what the statistics are, but there, there are statistics, um, there are research about people's New Year resolutions that I think, for the most part, they don't usually last throughout the whole year. And I was going to ask you, like, so is it worth it at all? And really, I think it's the same answer. Well, if you kept it for one day, it's already worth it. It's already worth it. Although, I must say, of course, the idea is to take on resolutions that will be... practical. That are practical, will be sustainable. I think there's a number of aspects to that. We need to give ourselves a push, but not overdo it. Sometimes people suffer from the syndrome that when they get inspired, 
which is a good thing to get inspired, and around this time of the year, it's a fantastic thing to get inspired, but then I take on too much, forgetting that there's a whole real world out there that you need to be able to implement this, right? So obviously we need to set ourselves up for success, we need to also know what's realistic, and also, like, let's say a person, you know, resolves to get angry less, right? You also need to reflect, like, how do you set yourself up for success? Like, how, like, what... What triggers anger? Like what? Yeah. What? Do you what sleep makes? Well, do you eat well? Yeah, maybe maybe I'm not yeah. eating properly. Maybe I'm irritable, yeah. or maybe um, you know maybe I come home from work and I'm hungry, and then my kids get on my nerves. I guess I blow up. Maybe I should. Uh... So, so part of the resolution is also how I'm going to implement the resolution. Correct. To set up my life in a way to, that will to, work. To make a real plan. Yeah. You know, it might be when you come home from work, like eat an apple before you can come into the house. I once heard that. You know. Yeah. You know, men are dangerous and they're hungry. They say so. I once heard from a marriage counselor that they should have an apple in there. In their, car. In, the, in their car, eat it before you come home. It's like, no, no one wants to hear about your stressful day because everyone else at home is also had a stressful day. That's so right. it doesn't need to make more stressful. But So yeah, of course you need to do that and you need to set yourself success. But the person makes a resolution and kept it for two weeks, for one week. Good things never disappear. In fact, Hasidic philosophy teaches us an amazing thing, that good is a real thing and therefore good lasts. Bad is not bad is just a concealment of good. It's not actually a realistic entity on its own. Mm. So bad doesn't last if you if you repair and you and you do chavan and you apologize. Bad, bad disappears. But a mitzvah that we do never never disappears. It's always there. Mm. It's eternal. I think one of the things that perhaps hold people back, especially this time of year, is either guilt or sort of being stuck in the past. Or, or what do you what do you say to that? Like if someone feels like yeah you know. This area of my life, I'm just done. It's it's over. Like, and and you're sort of obsessed with how you've done the past year. Is that a that's a little bit unhealthy, no? Yeah, Jews are very good at this, by the way. uh, Yeah, at at unhealthy guilt. Um, And you say, like you say, so because they're good at unhealthy guilt, they'll sometimes just avoid the whole issue to begin with, right? So guilt's a huge topic. So I'm not sure how long you have, but we'll try and make it brief um, for the podcast. But Guilt actually is really important. So here's the question, right? To have a conscience. It's because if you're not uncomfortable, you never grow. Yeah. If you don't feel a significant level of discomfort by what you, where you were till now, there's very little chance you're going to improve tomorrow. Because I'm fine. If I'm comfortable, I'm comfortable. So there is a concept, which we have particularly around this time of the year, but even throughout the year, where we reflect and confront, and we rattle ourselves a little bit, and we do feel uncomfortable, right? So there's a lot to be said about guilt. What's the difference between healthy guilt and an unhealthy guilt? Let me just let me just highlight two two ideas. One is an unbelievable, brilliant formula that the Tanya gives. It doesn't call it guilt so much, but it's the idea, the same sort of idea. And it's the question you have to ask yourself: Who's in charge of who? Who's controlling who? Are you controlling the guilt, or the guilt's controlling you? And in Tanya, he's, he puts forward a, a, almost like a bizarre proposition, which, if you think about it, is, is so powerful, right? He says there has to be a time if you do something wrong, there has to be a time generally. He talks about there, he talks about serving God with joy and always being joyous. But he says there is a time where you have to feel, let's say, guilty, for, for, for want of a better word, so that you should want to take a leap forward towards growth. He says that you have to designate times to be guilty. Mm. In other words, what that means is you have to be in control. It might be times once a week, maybe a few minutes each night before we go to sleep. Maybe it's once a year, particularly around this time of the year where you set aside time to think about where you're coming from, think about where you are, where you should be, and yes, to feel uncomfortable with some of the things that you're engaged in or not engaged in, and to resolve, I need to work on this, right? But then when you finish that designated time, you say goodbye to it. That's it. Now I've got to do what I've got to do and get on with it. And not let the guilt ruminate and, and obsess with me, right? 
That's unhealthy guilt. Unhealthy guilt is the guilt controls me. Guilt, healthy guilt is I control when I want to feel guilty and I control it. Right? Because if we don't do that, then what happens is we walk around guilty and we don't end up doing the things we're supposed to do, we normally do. Right. right? And then so you feel even more guilty. Exactly. So if I, let's say, insulted someone yesterday and I now walk around the whole day feeling guilty about it, now I should be uncomfortable about it, but if I'm overcome with, with guilt, then today I can't, I'm distracted and I can't do the things I want to do. I can't, I can't pray properly, I can't learn properly, I can't be kind to other people because I'm, I'm obsessed with this guilt. So what, what did I accomplish, right? And then I despair and I give up guilt and like you say, you're even more guilty. So that's the, that's the first thing. The second thing is, I think, the important thing, and this is probably the most, the most important thing, is nothing to feel despair about because we're supposed to feel uncomfortable in order to create a sense of urgency to take a leap forward. But when we understand that God, is, God knows our fa- failings and He wants us to work on them, but He's smiling at us at this time of the year, and I think you mentioned this the other night, yeah. right? You know, that's like... You want to just say over that, that analogy you said is a, is a beautiful thing. Which one about the king? About the king, yeah. Right. So there's, a, yeah, there's, there's an analogy which was brought about about um, someone who's, who's sort of inappropriately dressed in a room and the light is off, and suddenly the light goes on and the king is standing there. So you can imagine the embarrassment that a person feels. And it's sort of this time of year is sort of like that, where you the whole year round sometimes we walk in the dark and we're sort of not focused on what's really important in life, and suddenly like. When you come to this time of year, you come to Shorosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, you hear Kol Nidre, it's like a light switch goes on. It's like, really? Like, that's really what I got stuck in the whole year? Like, isn't there more important things in life? What I said the other night was, at the same time, we have to realize that when the light goes on and the king is standing there, the king is smiling at us. So yes, it's true, we feel embarrassed, but we should never feel like he's angry at us and pushing us away. On the contrary, he's so happy that the light's gone on that you're willing to come back and he, he embraces us again. Yeah, it's that gift. Otherwise, it's a gift that God gives us this one needs to look at these, you know, they're called days of awe, that's true, they're serious days, focused days. Um, when we come to Sukkot, we, we outwardly celebrate. That's all true, but they're days of closeness. We need to, they're not, you know, people often tell me, I've heard this a number of times, and I think you were telling me, someone told you this as well the other day, that they get scared around this time of the year. Mm. There's nothing to be scared about around this time of the year. There's something to be urgent about this time of yeah. the year, something to be focused about this time of the year. Because it's an, actually a gift. God says, I'm giving you this gift of these days, because I'm, I'm smiling at you and I'm welcoming you. I'm not, I'm not judging you in that sense, but I do want you to improve. I want you to grow. And I'm not, I'm not going to knock you back. I'm going to welcome each step you take. Each, even if it's one step, I'm welcoming it. I'm cherishing it. I'm embracing it. So, and, then, and then if we try, God showers us the blessings and he, and, he, and he blesses us all. And he wants to do that. That's what he wants to do this time of the year. And we have to have trust and we have to really believe that he's listening to our prayers and he's blessing us and he's and he's forgiving us, and, and that's all part of the whole process. So it's a time of great happiness, actually. Just it's more reserved because it's a time to confront ourselves and to really dig deep and to, and to, be, and to, be, and to be focused. So yes, if we have guilt in that context where we do feel uncomfortable, but we, at the same time we realize that God is standing there smiling and saying, okay, you feel uncomfortable, so just do something. And I'm, and I'm waiting for you. I'm welcoming you. I'm welcoming you home. Then, then guilt won't lead to despair. Guilt will lead to, on the contrary, to effective growth. On that note, Shana Tova, everyone. Shana Tova to you and your families. Only a healthy, sweet, successful, and happy year, both spiritually and physically. Amen. Everyone, all the best. Shana Tova. Thank you for listening to the JP Show. For questions, comments, and feedback, please email Rabbi G at bina b i n a dot com dot au. See you next time.